1: Welcome to Signal Booth. This is Jess McIntosh here, as always, with Zerlina Maxwell. And we are joined right now by an author of a new book. It is a history that we need. The book is called Unwell Women A History of Misdiagnosis and Myth in Women's Health. And the author is Eleanor Cleghorn. Eleanor, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me.
2: It's such a pleasure.
1: We have been obsessed with uh the the health disparity in outcomes for women on the show for a very long time and i'm very grateful to have a history like yours um so so let's start let's start at the present and then let's move all the way to the past so we, you know, the the fact that women are treated differently in in the healthcare world sort of came up again when we were talking about the J and J vaccine, the Astrazeneca vaccine, and the the very small chance that blood clots would develop. Um, women sort of rightly pointed out that in fact the same side effects exist on you know hormonal birth control contraceptives, the pill um and we just take those without really thinking about it and in fact you know you had to fight to make them a little bit safer when they first came out and this has been around for a long time can can you talk about what it was like having written this history and then watching the coda of it play out just a couple months ago
2: of course i mean it was funny actually because when i was writing the book lockdown in the uk sort of came around in march and a friend of mine texted me and she said oh, how do you feel now your book has come to life? And I thought yes. this was kind of true because, you know, not only at that point at least, suddenly everyone was in this situation where they were more aware of illness and the impact that they had on it, that had on their everyday lives than ever before. So it was like the kind of chronic illness experience was suddenly everyone's experience. But in, in terms of the issues around, especially around women's health and the vaccine that has unrolled, more recently, I think this is fascinating because indeed it has um, it has illuminated some really cruel ironies in women's health and really illuminated the question of why women would be hesitant about taking something, having something like the AstraZeneca vaccine, is the one in we have in the states and the J and in the UK, sorry, in the J and J where you are. Um, the hesitancy around that, when we have this really long ingrained history of being told that medication, especially hormonal medication, the contraceptive pill, and also hormone replacement therapies, um, there hasn't been this sense of transparency about the possible side effects. And women have had to fight you know, for decades since the pill was available in the market to have their health concerns associated with taking the pill taken seriously by their doctors and GPs. So I think there's this really long history in which we women feel as if they're sometimes sort of constant experimental subjects in these kind of, you know, public health solutions, as it were.
0: So one question I have about this is sort of, is this a problem in our current world? Because we haven't grappled with the fact that, you know, originally the people who were doing all the medicining, that's not a word, but I'm saying it, Um, (laughs) The people who were were doing all the thinking and the medicine and and being doctors, those were white men and they would do, I mean, definitely experiment on other types of people, but their focus in terms of like what diseases they would like to cure and uh, what what treatments they would like to create, that was focused on just one kind of person. I mean, the, the women's health and our reproductive health and trying to figure out the way in which our bodies were unique. That just wasn't um, a part of the thinking from the beginning, right?
2: That's absolutely true. I mean, medicine, well, our Western sort of scientific medical canon that began in ancient Greece has been dominated by male knowledge, male practice, and also by the idea that, yeah, as you say, the white male is the kind of standardized subject, but also the kind of ideal and most valuable body, most valuable kind of human um, upon which to, you know, focus the energies of healing and care. And the attitudes from, you know, the earliest centuries of medicine were always that there was something sort of alien or other or mystifying about women's bodies that came from this Mm. idea that men were stable subjects but also that they weren't the most idealized kinds of bodies so what we have today with the lack of knowledge or the lack of sort of understanding especially about some of the more complex chronic diseases that are on the rise in women across the world we lack the understanding because there hasn't been that strand of research and prioritization to women's bodies but also because women's bodies have been perpetually seen as sort of mysterious vessels, especially, you know, when it comes to our gynecological health.
0: Well, there are miraculous I mean, vessels. I mean, it is yeah. amazing what women's bodies can do <laughs> and those who can birth children. I mean, that is an amazing thing. We, uh, we create human beings <laughs> in, in our bodies. That cool. is an incredibly amazing yeah. thing. So I think it's like sort of the wonder of it does make it seem... Otherworldly, maybe is a bad way to say it, but I I understand why I understand how it seems like it's so Amazing that it it must be something else not not, you know of this world, but at the same time, it's like Don't you feel like if the The the, you know the representation within medicine uh, was uh, Equal to how we exist in the world. Don't you feel like we would have wanted to examine the women's body even more. I mean, because it's so amazing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I think, we, you know, all throughout the history, we've held this incredible, the female body has held this incredible power, right? We're the ones that bear the children. Our bodies, as you say, perform these miraculous acts. I mean, just what happens when, you know, a woman is pregnant, that her immune system sort of ignores the baby, you know, that the baby's almost in this sort of invisibility cloak so that it can grow healthily. And in the things, there's still so much not understood about these miracles of the female body, especially around reproductive health. So, yeah, I totally agree that it seems completely paradoxical that we wouldn't have been, you know, more obsessively um, sort of focused on the female body throughout medicine's history. But sometimes I feel like, you know, the history of the kind of patriarchal societal norms in which medicine flourished Mm -hmm. that women maybe had too much power from a biological standpoint or from you know Mm -hmm. biological perspective so these kind of diminishing and oppressive ideas about their bodies not just being kind of mysterious but somehow you know dangerous untamable deficient um had to be sort of perpetuated in order in a way to sort of diminish that miraculous power you know it it
1: almost feels like i like medicine certainly has been obsessed with women although not with their bodies and how they work it feels like like the history of medicine of western medicine has been obsessed with their emotions it's been obsessed with their their behavior and sort of using medicine to curtail behavior that they deemed out of the norm especially for you know for uh, upper class women for middle class women um uh, we we were performing lobotomies in the 30s and 40s. Can you talk a little bit about hysteria <laughs> and 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 the okay. the very recent history that we have of dealing with that?
2: Of course. Um, so hysteria was a kind of diagnostic behemoth for unexplained mental and physical symptoms in women that emerged in the 17th century and was variously linked to the sort of impulses of a woman's uterus, her womb, and then to the sort of untamable aspects of her biology. But also, as you say, it was very much linked to behaviour and personality and temperament. And it was a way, as much as it was a sort of constructed diagnosis, something made up by male doctors to pathologize women in certain ways, as much as it was that, it was also a kind of form of, social punishment in a way for women who dared to defy normative social boundaries. So women who didn't, you know, he might have not wanted to toe the domestic line or might have wanted to think and work and act and, you know, gain equality for themselves. So at different points in history, it was also used as a slur. for example, against women fighting for suffrage and for the vote in the late 19th and early 20th century, but you're right that the the scourge of hysteria uh, this diagnostic slur I mean it really stuck with us. It's really ingrained into our medical ideas about women's pain and illnesses being primarily emotional. you know what does it mean when we call a woman hysterical uh, so right. something like the lobotomy craze, which is a truly horrendous episode in the history of medicine, came around in the 30s, forties as you say, and I think by the 40s, something like 75% of lobotomy patients were women, and most of those were housewives. What? And it's shocking to think, I know, it's completely shocking to think that anybody would submit someone they love or subject somebody they love to such a brutalising and barbaric procedure because they were unhappy with their lives or because they exhibited behavior that now, you know, we understand in a complete, with a completely different set of language and and narrative. So, I mean, some of the books that I have read that give case studies of women who had lobotomies because they, you know, were highly strong or overly emotional or what we would now understand to be, you know, very depressed or suffering from really acute anxiety. You know, they describe these women who've undergone these awful, awful procedures as being returned to an almost kind of infant-like state of docility, you know, where they are just unburdened by any worries. But what's literally happened is that their ability to make meaning of their lives, to think for themselves, has been drilled out of things so of course you know docility and 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 is, you know maybe they do feel docile but they have also lost their autonomy and their agency and their and their thought and independence so it was a harrowing harrowing time and also really indicative of how that era you you know the sort of pre-war era in medicine wanted to deal with mental health issues which were you know massively stigmatized then especially in women
1: why don't we talk more about this? I mean, the fact that like I, I under I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to ask a question that that comes with the presupposition of racism because that's the world that we live in. But we are very used to uh, health outcomes for black women being underreported, under understood. They're not included in papers. We don't teach it in in, in medicine. Uh, we were lobotomizing upper middle class housewives on the regular in the four like my mom was born in the 40s that wasn't that long ago like yeah wh- how yeah. did that how did that get broomed <laughs> with, with history
2: i think that i think that medicine or like dominant systems of power and knowledge like medicine they like to forget these darker aspects of their history um but i feel like it's incredibly important that we talk about it even though it's difficult and even though it exemplifies terrible things that people do to other people in the name of power and the name of reputation Um, so we don't you're right we don't hear about this we don't speak about it enough and we don't also admit how much episodes like say the lobotomy craze uh, might how those ideas that kind of got us to that point where we were lobotomizing housewives how some of those attitudes and ideas might still be with us right So we might still Mm -hmm. vilify a woman who's in, you know, intense chronic pain as being anxious or
1: hysterical
2: Mm -hmm. even, because we haven't faced up to how much of this history isn't now kind of forgotten and it was another time and it was, you know, a dark time and we've moved on. We haven't, you know, a lot of those attitudes are still with us. And although, you know, at, at least in doctors' offices, we would hope that our doctors wouldn't be referring us for lobotomies but the dismissal the invalidation and the uh, idea of kind of a quick quick year rather than this sort of more costly but more effective therapy for example is still with us. But so the more we talk about it the more important it is the more we face up to the damage that was done in history the more we can learn to create a more egalitarian and compassionate health culture in the future i believe
0: All I can um, think about now is the fact that we were doing it backwards. We should have been investigating and researching the emotions of men because anybody that would do a lobotomy on a housewife, something is going on mentally. I just feel like we should have been doing the research on women's bodies and the miracle of reproduction and trying to figure out all of the things we could figure out about that physically. And we should have been figuring out why it is that Men felt that it was fine within a hundred years of now to basically torture and maim women for something they didn't understand. Um, because I feel like that's the part that yeah, I would that like, like, like a more information scientific about. Scientific inquiry, right there. <laughs> I would like more information about that part. Um, I, and also the other I piece, totally but they agree. weren't even doing the research right. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, when you really
2: think about it, like. What is the impetus of somebody to perform that level of kind of sadistic torture in the name of kind of protection and cure, you know, and to culture in this narrative of help and healing is yep. something, but I guess this is what, has come. that's what is the legacy of unchecked male power or unchecked power in something like the field of medicine and the sort of exclusionistic attitudes towards you know women's knowledge and actual kind of understanding of what it meant to be a woman and what it feels like to live in a woman's body you know so this power just went unchecked and this is how we get to horrendous episodes like Mm. lobotomy and we you know we get there because those knowledges haven't been fully unpacked and power hasn't been checked
1: right i mean when you say something like couching couching the the torture and abuse of women as something that is good for them it is sort of impossible not to see the wellness industry the diets that we subject ourselves to the number of weight loss measures that turned out to you know cause fetal abnormalities and other sorts of like terrible the the diet pills like the diet pills craze happened after the lobotomy craze apparently but like we we spend a lot of time trying to trick women into thinking that things that are really quite bad for them physically are actually part of their physical health. Do you feel like that's stemming from, I mean, I know that the wellness industry, the, the, the medical industry would not want to say that the wellness industry was even adjacent to it, but do you see the ghosts of the the horrible things that have happened in medicine in the other ways that we try to convince women that this is actually good for you when it's really
2: not? Yeah, I really do. And I think that's a brilliant question. Thank you for bringing it up. I think there's a really fine line between harm and health, especially in the narratives that we are fed about how we need to treat our bodies in order to make them acceptable in our dominant society. You know, the the narratives of harm have always been with us, that we need to be, we need to shrink ourselves, we need to silence ourselves, we need to tidy ourselves you know, be hellers, be smooth, be smaller. And these, you're right, the the way that these things marketed are that this this is the healthiest state for us, but really what it is, it's a form of punishment. And I absolutely do see those ghosts. I see those Mm. ghosts that that really that fine line between sort of protection and punishment that has been with us for centuries when we
1: sort of Mm -hmm. devise, or
2: when men have devised these therapies for women, that are just men, you know, what they're doing is not helping their bodies or healing healing their illnesses it's actually you know making them fit into a constrained societal model of what a woman is supposed to be in a patriarchal society right
0: Yeah. and the sad truth is that the person the man who's the loudest about what they think women should look like they never look like how I would like men to look like sorry. Um like they right? you know, the what the, the men who are sitting back like, you know, you really need to get on that treadmill, ma'am. They never have abs. Never do those men have abs. I'm sorry. It was just I was thinking it the whole time. I'm like, they're the loudest about it, but they're never doing the laps in the pool. Um
1: I think we're out of time. Are we it. out of
0: time? Unfortunately. Can we bring mind. you back? Can
1: we bring you back? We I have more are questions. and I wish perfect. Seriously, I could go another segment on this. This is an absolutely fascinating history. The book is Unwell Women, a history of misdiagnosis and myth in women's health. Eleanor Clegghorn, thank you for writing it and talking with us this morning. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you so much for
2: having me. It's been such a joy. I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Come back anytime.
0: Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast.
1: We'll be back tomorrow with more news.